Well, greetings and welcome to uh, Road Trip Dividing Line, the first one of this trip. I did do a, um, d- a driving line, uh, which was posted earlier today, and hopefully you had a chance to maybe listen to that, and uh, hopefully it was a blessing and encouragement to you. I think there was some important stuff that we talked about there. I am, uh, I'm looking forward to this evening, I'll be honest with you. Um, one of the fun things about doing this uh, personally is when you get um, like rain at night and you can hear that right on the roof, right over your head as you're, as you're sleeping. Um, or when it's really windy and you can hear the wind whistling. We've got this one, we've got this one window, by the way, Rich, uh, we've got this one window that we've had worked on three or four times and it's just never going to be completely uh, right. And uh, so when it's really windy, you can, it, it does that wonderful whistling sound. <laughs> and uh, right now we're, we're, we've got some good 40 mile an hour gusts plus, I would say, uh, coming straight at my six here. <laughs> Just, this is if, I know you can't tell from looking at this, but I'm right at the back of the fifth wheel. Um, there's a the, the table that you can sit at with people. Well, you, you actually, you may have seen it if you saw the, the post debate stuff that we did uh, when I was up in Moscow earlier this year, it, it was shot from that angle. So you could see Doug was sitting right here, I think. Yeah, Doug was sitting where I sit to do program. I was on the other side over there. Anyway, um, so I'm right at the back end here. There's a big old window here. And uh, so I pulled my big old truck, and it is a big old truck now, <laughs> um, right up behind me here. I mean, I was getting a little worried about how close I was getting uh, as a windbreak. Because nothing's moving that truck. It's a, it'd have to be a whole lot more than 40 miles an hour to move that truck. So it's sort of giving me a little bit of windbreak. But it's it should be, I should sleep really well tonight. Uh, because, um, I don't know, there's just something really cool about that. Knowing my luck, right as I lay down, down the wind will die. But it's supposed to get colder and colder and colder. It was actually quite warm here uh, today. And um, as I said, as I said on the driving line, I'll be speaking Friday, Saturday, Sunday at Covenant of Grace Church. Just visited Pastor Van Lees. Um, Brother Van, a tremendous jazz musician, by the way, as is his son. I mean, we're talking world-class jazz musicians and um, extremely talented. And I think some of you may remember when I was in Ukraine, uh, in Kiev, uh, uh, we went and listened to him uh, team up with a, if I recall, it was a, what was he, a trumpeter? I don't remember. Anyways, uh, with another world-class guy uh, there in Ukraine for a concert. It was really cool to to see him because this will be the 22nd year consecutively that I've spoken at Covenant Grace Church. I don't know why they can't get other speakers. (laughs) They're just stuck with me, but that's okay. But anyways, we saw Pastor Lee today, uh, Van Lees today, because uh, he had, uh, he's just really, really struggled with his uh, uh, left ankle and foot. So he had major, major, major surgery uh, last week, and he's uh, four to six weeks, uh, or was it four to six months? I don't know. It was a long time. Yeah, it's four to six months before he can get the stuff off of that uh, leg, and uh, so he's not going to be able to be there for the first time uh, during the during the conference. But we're going to be doing the Trinity, why we believe the Trinity, and that will include issues such as is the Trinity a biblical doctrine. What's the relationship of creeds and confessions, you know, stuff that needs to be talked about these days. 
uh, because it's, it's, well, it's important. And uh, by the way, I mentioned on the driving line, the, uh, the Bible that I got from uh, Jeffrey Rice. Uh, you can see uh, the beautiful Cairo, Solus Christus. This is the ESV um, Creeds and Confessions. And so it's got the larger and shorter catechisms, got the London Baptist Confession of Faith right there. Uh, the Westminster Confession, it's got uh, the Canons of Dort, uh, the Augsburg Confession, and the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the uh, just one, it's interesting, it's just one, it, it, it's just the Chalcedonian symbol, the Chalcedonian definition of the hypostatic union, basically, uh, but it's in there as well. And the wonderful thing about it is, uh, and this surprised me, the the print is so clear and and large enough that um, I can I can utilize it without having to put my old man glasses on, which is uh, which is really cool. So uh, I'll definitely be using that this um, this weekend as well. And then uh, go to our calendar uh, page um, so you can see where I'm going to be on uh, Monday, Wednesday. Is it Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday? Well, Friday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I think, of next week. Um, as I'm returning back through uh, Arkansas and Texas. That's what it is. So check out the, the calendar for uh, for those things. Um, lots and lots going on in the world that I've just been you know listening to as I am driving along and, and catching the news and uh, and, and things like that. Not shocked whatsoever uh, that Biden's um, undersecretary of energy guy who pretends to be a gal um, was arrested for stealing a piece of luggage, a woman's piece of luggage, and making exceptional use of the lingerie found therein. This is this is someone that this regime um, put forward to uh, take care of nuclear waste in the United States. I, I hope you, f- you feel really safe from nuclear waste. This is, this is what happens when you uh, do this kind of thing, where you make sexual perversity uh, something that is morally good and therefore promote people based upon their willingness to engage in sexual perversity. Because there's lots and lots of pictures and evidence out there of just how uh, perverse this particular individual is. Now, of course, when you use the term perverse, that that's you can't use that anymore. I just realized something. The wind stopped. <laughs> I, I'm serious. It, I mean, I was rocking and rolling and moving back and forth. And the wind stopped. How strange is that? Um, Midwest is is weird. Uh, you know, they keep saying if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes; it'll be different. And yeah, wow, it just it just stopped. It'll probably start coming from the other direction in a few minutes. That's anyway. The term perversity. I was thinking about it because you can't you can't use that term. Um, I, you can't you can't say anything is perverse any longer. But think about what the word itself means. Um, there's, a, there's a Greek term that Paul uses. 
when he says that the Judaizers want to pervert the the grace of God, the gospel of God, and and it's it means to to twist. Not so much that it's out of shape. It's not like taking a a sword and bending it so that it becomes a circle or something. But it's it's like taking a key. I've noticed that they don't they don't seem to make keys the way they used to uh, out of the same stuff because. Uh, I have this one house key, actually, and I'm noticing it's bending, and I, every once in a while, I've got to sort of like bend it back. And especially with it, like a key, if you if you bend something enough, it becomes non-functional. And that's the idea with the term that Paul uses: that there is a purpose, an intention for the gospel, and when you just Twist it just enough. It doesn't have to be, you know, round up in a ball or something like that. You twist it just enough so it doesn't function anymore. And all of this assumes that when you use the term perversity, that there is a definition of how something is supposed to function. So if you if you call a behavior perverse. What you're saying is there is a non-perverse behavior as well. There is a proper and good behavior, and perversity is twisting and changing that proper behavior. And so here you have a man um, who pretends to, to be a woman, and very clearly the, the evidence is overwhelming that this individual um used to be one of those people that was that would slink around in the darkness because society rightfully shamed this kind of sexual perversity and it rightfully did so that's not wrong we're being told today that what society used to do that was wrong no we need to stand up and say no it was right it was proper remember there's there's a there's a text that um i think tim bushong um made some comment to me on, on Facebook and about something I had posted. I forget what the context was. And once again, I, my response was to, to go to Psalm 12, eight and, and, and say, here it is. Um, the wicked strut about on every side when that, which is vile or when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. So the wicked strut about. They 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 know they're wicked, and they know that what that they love their wickedness, and they strut about. They they display their wickedness, which is exactly what this guy does every time he shows up at his I'm sure high paid government office in his slinky dresses and high-heeled shoes. That's the wicked strutting about. Well, how can that happen? It can only happen when vileness, when that which is vile, is exalted among the sons of men. When the sons of men do not exalt that which is vile, then the wicked cannot freely strut about because they're shamed for their actions. But we are now in a situation where we as Christian believers 
Uh, well, uh, th- I, I think it was this morning I heard a discussion of a uh, UK newspaper. And I haven't seen much of it here. And I didn't, I wasn't able to catch almost anything today. I, I had an appointment that I needed to get to and it was, it was a good appointment. Went really well. I'm very happy about it. But I had an appointment I had to get to today. So I, I, I haven't been able to follow stuff this evening. So I'm not sure if media has picked up on it, but there are people saying that um, Amy Coney Barrett should recuse herself from a case coming up before the Supreme Court in regards to, quote unquote, gay rights. Now, um, anybody who's listened to this program for decades (laughs) will be able to testify that long, long, long ago, before it was at all popular uh, to say anything like this, uh, I said that homosexuals do not want equal rights, they want uber rights. They want to force everyone else um, to celebrate their sexual perversity. And here you have a situation where because Amy Coney Barrett was a part of a very conservative Roman Catholic organization, that it is seriously being argued that she should have to recuse herself from this case because they are so opposed to homosexuality. And, and I, I sit here and I, I listen to this and I just go, once you buy secularism, the most fundamental levels of logic just escape you. It is astonishing to me the foolishness of the leftist mind. How can you not see that Jackson Brown is even more committed to an even more obviously open worldview position? that involves obvious prejudice on this subject. This is, what we, this is what we face in a society that has utterly abandoned its foundational commitments and is in the process of transitioning away from the former Christian consensus into the secular consensus because that's that's where we are and so you're going to have the completely divided supreme court that we have right now and yet the reality is what what's being said is christians should not be allowed to have a voice in what's going on in our society and that's that's the ultimate authority claim of secularism. Now, secularism is self-destructive and will always destroy itself. It, it, it may build something up for a while. Um, if people can numb the conscience 
long enough, then they can build something. Look, look at, you know, China. There's, there's China is, is a fascinating place. And I continue to pray that, that God would raise up sound Orthodox churches that are willing to pay the cost and that he would just bring revival in China. Can you imagine what would happen if, if, if just there was a massive revival in China, the, the, the complete alteration of the whole view of the world that would come from that. And guess what? God can do that. God can do that. Sometimes I think we Christians, we, sometimes I think we Calvinists, We'll sit, we'll sit here and, and say on the one hand, oh, yes, God can, God can save whoever he wills. And then when someone dares to say, wow, you know, I wonder if God could bring a massive worldwide revival that would change everything. Well, you know, I don't know. <laughs> um, God can do that. What if he did? But. Stuff's going on in China where, where people are standing up and saying, we've had enough. And it's interesting because it, I've sort of said, I think the Chinese communists have gotten smart. They recognize what happened with the Soviet Union, what it, why it fell. You've got to keep people satisfied to a certain level. You've got to meet their physical and other needs to to a certain level at least and the lockdowns that china has been using uh just go far far beyond that and and that's that's what's going on there so there is a worldview in in, in action there and here in the united states we have a completely divided nation um it's never been this divided I don't think it's, it, it was not it, it, in worldview issues. It was not nearly as divided during the Civil War itself as it is now. Let, let's just be honest about that. And so here you have people seriously saying, "If you're a Christian, if you if you operate on Christian principles, you should not have a voice in the legal system of the United States without recognizing." That their wild-eyed leftist ideologues that you you can always tell how they're going to vote. Well, okay, maybe on some issues that aren't necessarily right on the dividing line, but um, their own people that you, as a secularist, have a religious worldview. You have ultimate authorities. You are making statements about God, his non-existence or his non-relevance. And morality and ethics and purpose. Yeah, you're saying there is no purpose other than that which we assign it. I, I get that. I understand that. Um, but you're still making those statements. You're still making that kind of argumentation. There's no question about it. So when you hear this kind of argumentation being made, the the duplicity of it, the hypocrisy. Um, I'm just, again, reminded of the Dalrymple quote that that's, that's the whole point. Hypocrisy is exactly what functions. It works. 
for the left. And uh, we see that happening uh, all around us. It is, um, it is an amazing thing. So, um, yeah, looking at these things, it, it, it's, um, it would be such a scandal only a few, only a matter of years ago that a high government official would be charged with basically stealing a woman's under things and then making use of them from an airport. That's my understanding. It was, he stole from an airport, you know, like baggage, you know, not, not difficult to do if you want to. And the guy would, would just would be shamed out of out of all public life. Now he he may lose his job. I I suppose it's possible, but these days who knows? Maybe he'll be celebrated. Uh, every day, the the things that happen. Speaking of every day, the things that happen. Oh, yeah, we we got to mention it. Um, you probably saw the story, and it was in the Telegraph, and I went and got – it was not a lengthy or in-depth. It was very short, very, very short. But there was the uh, article from the 26th of November, three days ago. Jesus could have been transgender, claims Cambridge Dean. If you want, if you want to know how far gone um, – Cambridge, Oxford, all these places are as far as having. I just I don't understand why Christians keep sending their their young people to these places. They they not only abandoned the Christian worldview a long, long time ago, they have adopted the exact opposite. In fact, did you see? (laughs) Did you see the 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 guy that the Walker Seminary? Union Theological Seminary. I call them the Walker Seminary because you know, TV series Walker, the the you know the Walking Dead. Um, it's a it's a it's a Walker Seminary because it died in the late 1800s and it's still uh, shuffling along, trying to eat people and succeeding, uh, only because the people it's eating come running up and go, "Please eat me," um, <laughs> and I'll give you money to do it too. But did you see? <laughs> just see. They've got a master's in social justice now. Did you see the guy they've got teaching? Wow. It, 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 I don't know how the Babylon Bee does it anymore when you've got stuff like this because the competition's too much. You, if, if, if that had been, if that guy in that class had been a satire piece, only five years ago, people have gone, oh, come on, that's just, that's way over the top. And now it's just absolutely real. And it's, wow. Anyway, back to the, uh, back to the article here. Uh, the dean of Trinity College said such a view was legitimate after a row over a sermon by a student that claimed Christ had a trans body. And, um, so Jesus could have been transgender, according to the University of Cambridge Dean. Dr. Michael Banner, the dean of Trinity College, said such a view was legitimate 
after a row over a sermon by a Cambridge research student that claimed Christ had a trans body the Telegraph can dispose. The truly shocking address at last Sunday's Evensong at Trinity Chapel College. Isn't it just so sad that these, these buildings that were built by believers to glorify the name of Christ, I, I hope and pray that God will either just knock them all down or that there will be such a wonderful uh, revival that they will be returned to their proper use and the and the the true gospel will once again be heard in those walls to be never profaned the way that it is profaned now. The truly shocking address at last Sunday's even song at Trinity Chapel saw Joshua Heath, a junior research fellow, display Renaissance and medieval paintings of the crucifixion that depicted a side wound and on that the guest preacher likened to a female sex organ. I'm not even going to say what they've got here. Worshippers told the Telegraph they were left in tears and felt excluded from the church with one, praise God, shouting heresy at the dean upon leaving. Now, a number of people that I've talked to about this have said, hey, I'm actually shocked that there was an Anglican that would have said, yeah, shouted heresy and leave. And I'm like, no, there's still, if it happened down in Sydney, there would have been uh, much worse consequences. Um, But yeah, no, there's, there's still a few out there. And um, I'm just really thankful that someone got up and yelled heresy and left. Uh, The sermon, the sermon displayed three paintings, including, uh, yeah, who cares? Um, Heath, whose PhD ah was supervised by the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams. Oh, really? Also told worshipers in the prayer book of Bonn of Luxembourg. Oh, okay, I can't even say this either. Never mind. Point point is this guy has a PhD, which tells you a lot about what PhDs mean in these places anymore. And his supervisor was the Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams. That tells you something about Rowan Williams. Um, I cannot read half of this stuff. Um, trans people, again... Okay, in Christ, simultaneously masculine and feminine body in these works, if the body of Christ, as these works suggest, the body of all bodies, then his body is also the trans body. The sermon concluded. I call that a sermon. A congregation member who wished to remain anonymous told Dr. Banner in a complaint letter, I left the service in tears. You offered to speak with me afterwards, but I was too distressed. I am contemptuous of the idea. Um... Um, yeah, okay. Um, I am especially contemptuous of such an imagery when it is applied to our Lord from the pulpit at Evensong. I am contemptuous of the notion we should be invited to contemplate the martyrdom of a trans Christ, a new heresy for our age. Uh, the worshiper said the audience inquiring the traditional Anglican service with children present was visibly uncomfortable at the truly shocking sermon. 
which made me feel unwelcome in the church, and his partner felt violated. Dr. Banner's response to the complaint seen by the Telegraph defended how the sermon suggested that we might think about these images of Christ's male-female body as providing us with ways of thinking about issues around transgender questions today. Yeah, let's uh, let's look at some uh, some paintings of Jesus rather than oh, what could we what could we have come up with? Oh, yeah, yeah, could have gone there. But yeah, no, not not anymore. Um, Dr. Banner, who frequents uh, BBC's Radio 4's Thought for the Day, said that while the views were the speaker's own, he would not issue an invitation to someone who I thought would deliberately seek to shock or offend the congregation or who could be expected to speak against the Christian faith. <laughs> Guess y'all don't know how to define the Christian faith anymore. A trained college spokesman said the sermon explored the nature of religious art in the spirit of thought-provoking academic inquiry and in keeping with open debate and dialogue at the University of Cambridge, which tells you all you need to know about how far Cambridge has gone. In fact, it just so happens, shifting gears a little bit, uh, Cambridge peer-reviewed study suggests authoritarianism might be necessary to fight climate change. Really? Really? Well, yes. Um, The study published in Cambridge University's American Political Science Review and first report by the Foundation for Economic Education leads to the question of, is authoritarian power ever legitimate before the author outlines how it could be when combating climate change? Folks, um, as is normal, I really think that the church is pretty much on the back foot on this issue. I was told, uh, Michael Fallon told me, what was that, late 2020? Somewhere around there. So right as the vaccines were rolling out, and we were about to see the huge push for, you know, the authoritarianism that very became very clear and continues to be very clear in the promotion of stuff regarding vaccines and things like that, uh, despite the massive amount of evidence of uh, the problems associated therewith. Anyway, um, he told me then, he said, um, the COVID thing is going to die down and the real push, because it's always been the real push, will be climate. It, it, it will be, you know, we used to call it global warming. Of course, I'm old enough to remember global cooling. Um, (laughs) you know, we're all supposed to be an ice age, but that's what we're seeing happening. I mean, it is truly frightening when I see, for example, the Netherlands, uh, talking about forcibly, um, taking over farms in the Netherlands, which produces a huge amount of food, uh, to meet climate goals now where these climate goals come from from the furted minds of cultists uh these people have pretty much the same kind of 
utter imbalance as Joseph Smith. And yet they have found a way to take over the reins of government in much of the world. And all you have to have is a climate goal. You know, 1.5 degrees Celsius. Where'd that come from? Totally pulled out of the air. Completely pulled out of the air. Um, if there was not literally trillions, I mean, you heard about the UN, right? The, the, and I was going to sit down and get a calculator out. Maybe somebody else already has, but the, the UN climate thing that just got done where, you know, I had 400 private jets flying in all the rest of the time. They want to set up a fund from the rich nations uh, to give the poor nations it's called global Marxist communism, um, where the rich nations, except for China, which is doing most of the carbon pollution anyways, um, will start off with $2 trillion to give to poorer nations to offset the carbon pollution being done by the, which makes zero difference, has no, no impact whatsoever. None of the carbon stuff does. It's all a myth, a complete myth, and can be demonstrated to be a myth. That's why they never debate it. They won't allow people to talk about it because it's, it's indefensible. Do you have any idea how much that is per person? I mean, these people are literally financially enslaving you, your children, your grandchildren, and smiling while doing it. That's why that dolt in the WEF video um, can sit there and by 2030, you will own nothing and you'll be happy about it. <laughs> yeah, you'll own nothing, all right, because you will be a slave. Um, your your central bank digital currency will have been turned off because you you dared to question the regime in social media and uh, you will be a slave. Um, it, it's just amazing. So here's here's Cambridge. Uh, while under normal conditions, maintaining democracy and rights is typically compatible with guaranteeing safety. In emergency situations, conflicts between these two aspects of legitimacy can and often do arise. Assistant Professor of Political Theory at the Pontifical Catholic University of Chile, Ross Mitiga, writes in the study's abstract. A salient example of this is the COVID-19 pandemic, during which severe limitations on free movement and association have become legitimate techniques of government. Oh, so as long as you got away with it, that makes it legitimate. Mm -hmm. Climate change poses an even graver threat to public safety. No, it doesn't. Consequently, I argue legitimacy may require a similar, similarly authoritarian approach. Um, the abstract concludes, while unsettling, this suggests the political importance of climate action, for if we wish to avoid legitimating authoritarian power, we must act to prevent crises from arising that can only be resolved by such means. So, as long as we create the crisis, we will always use it to be able to promote our, our agenda. And um, yeah, there, there was a day when 
of the American populace would have looked at something like this and gone, you people are nuts. Get out of our face. But the public education system has been incredibly effective at basically sucking any critical ability to think logically out of the rising generation that will very soon outnumber all us old folks that still realize this is just pure hogwash. Now, same time, when I say that, I also recognize that um, these leftists in the young generation aren't reproducing. They're not. And, of course, they're going to try to penalize everybody who does um, in many, many different ways. Or what they'll do is they'll, you know, the state wants your kids. And I said on Wretched Radio a number of years ago, they're going to come after homeschooling. They have to. They have to. Especially with its explosion of late. They they can that is their that's the holy grail. You've got to gotta get the kids. So they'll come after it. They they there's no no question about it. They will come after it. I um <clears throat> I've been listening to a lot of and, and reading more and more of the discussions that are going on regarding the blessed doctrine of the Trinity. On one level, I am very thankful that there are lots of conversations going on on the doctrine of the Trinity. When I wrote the Forgotten Trinity, we used the title that we did because there was just there was so little discussion. Um, nothing in comparison to what we see going on today. And so I'm I'm never going to complain about lots of people talking about the doctrine of the Trinity. The issue obviously is where we draw the line between speculative theology and authoritative dogmatics. That is where where do we say this is revealed truth and this is speculation based upon revealed truth? I think there still needs to be a lot of discussion in that area. One of the most, and especially this season, I mean, I've got I got a little little tweet back there. And and I'd like to show you my Charlie Brown tree, but I that would mess up the camera badly. But I have I have a Charlie Brown tree over there, and it's it's gorgeous. It's it I love it. it it's what two feet maybe at most, not quite two feet, and it looks a lot like the the Charlie Brown tree does. And um, but I have it taped. It it made fifteen hundred miles without moving at all. And getting shaken around because you know that's the whole point of one of these little units is they have to be designed to be able to handle you know twenty earthquakes per day 
Um, and um, it reminds me, Rich, we've got some um, stuff on the slide out that uh, is coming off and needs to be nailed back in. Just, hey, it happens. You know, when you get shaken around that much, stuff's going to happen. Anyway, uh, so it's it's that season of the year. It's I, my favorite time of the year. I was I was born in Minneapolis. I imagine it's probably really cold up there right now. Um, only spent five years there, but I I just remember lots and lots of snow. And um, I really, really, really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I should send you a hammer then. <laughs> Actually, the hammer is right over there. I didn't do a really, really good job. It, those little, those little Brad type things. Once they come out, they don't like going back in. Um, but I'll, I'll show you. We'll, we'll figure out some way of doing it. Um, anyway, uh, <clears throat> favorite time of the year, and especially thinking about the incarnation and everything that's involved with it. Um, everything that it means, it's, it's just so central. You, you cannot place the incarnation above the cross, the cross above the incarnation. They're, they're, they're divine revelations, and the one tells you everything you need to know about the other, and vice versa. It's the one who gave himself. But you can't, you can't think about the Christmas story without encountering the depth of the biblical revelation of the relationship between the father and the son and really the sending of the spirit as well, but especially the relationship of the father and the son. When you think of Jesus' own words that he has been sent, I have come the Father sent me. These are, these are words of one who recognizes not just a sense of mission, but of preexistence. And that leads to the, the depths of the conversation that we have in John 17 and the prayer that is found there where Jesus addresses the father. And you so clearly have one divine person speaking to another divine person. There's a lot of discussion right now about uh, terms like appropriations. Okay. It's not a term you're going to find in scripture. And it's not a category you're going to be seeing used in scripture. It's speculative. It's, it's, a, it's a mechanism of trying to deal with making your own systematic theology. But my assertion is that no matter what you do, first and foremost, you must begin with this idea that no human philosophical system can ever fully adequately deal with the depth and breadth of biblical revelation. 
my deep concern is that there are many people in this world and now many people in Baptist circles who function on an embarrassment concerning the lack of sophistication of the scriptural testimony and hence believe it is necessary to have a metaphysical external framework to literally make up for what's not found in scripture itself. I I saw someone just this week saying that you need a particular form. It was Christian Platonism. You need a particular form of metaphysics to be able to defend the Trinity. And I simply say to everyone, Plato did not understand the Trinity. And Plato is not necessary to the defense of the Trinity. And if you think he is, I suggest you don't know how to defend the Trinity from Scripture. It is chilling to my bones. It truly is. To think about how many Christian scholars today act, they, they, they will not say this, but they act in such a way that it clearly demonstrates that they are embarrassed by anyone who would say that this is enough in and of itself to speak the truth about how God exists and wants us to worship him. That there's just not enough here. There, there's not enough philosophy here. Now, is there philosophy here? Well, in the sense that we are given enough to build a orthodox, functioning, worshiping Christian view of the world. We are given enough to know the God that we are to worship and how he wants to be worshipped. Then, if you want to call that Christian philosophy, then most definitely. But what's its standard? Christ. Christ is the standard. He's the God-man. He's, uh, for in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So he's the standard of all things. Now that doesn't that doesn't fly in the academy, and so since it doesn't fly in the academy, um, people get embarrassed by it, and they want to bring in other things. One of the casualties of that is the depth of that father son relationship. Now, I'm not talking about issues relating to EFS and things like that. May I may I just say one more time since people don't seem to listen or remember um I have never held to EFS um when it when the big explosion took place in 2016 I I said I 
can't go there because I've agreed with John Calvin since I knew what the issues were, that the son is autotheos, that he is God in and of himself. Um, and that's a minority view amongst Reformed theologians, but, and very clearly a view that certain people today would like to see canceled, including canceling Calvin. It's coming. Just watch. Just, it's happening right now. Just watch. Calvin himself will end up being canceled. We've already had some of the younger folks that, well, Calvin wasn't much of a Trinitarian theologian. <laughs> oh, you couldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> we, we, we don't believe in EFS, uh, and Alpha Omega Ministries, and we, it, it, every time I hear someone saying, well, what I heard you believe, I just, I just want to look at them and go, please. Um, so I want to make sure everybody understands that. What we do believe and what I've written on and I've lectured on and debated is that the scriptures reveal to us, there are places in scripture. Um, and the ter- terminology I've used is um, where the spirit draws aside the veil of eternity just, just a little bit. And we are able to see a little bit of the relationship of father and son in eternity past. We, we see some of this in Colossians 1. We see some of this in Philippians 2. We see some of this in John 17, Hebrews 1. Those great Christological passages. And especially in the high priestly prayer. That fifth verse, glorify me with the glory which I had with you in your presence before the world was. Um, there is a deep, oh, um, there is there is a deep, deep revelation there of the of the fact that whatever you Whatever you do in defining divine persons, you must start, and this is, this is one of the things that's really bothered me. You cannot start with Aristotle. You cannot start with Thomas Aquinas. You cannot start with Plato. You will not come to know the true God if you do these things. You start with what God has spoken. And that means the richness and the depth of the interaction of father and son. If you adopt a theological formulation that flattens that out, that says that the son in, well, in the Carmen Christi, did not give consideration but rather made himself of no reputation. Those are reflexive pronouns. That's a reflexive pronoun. He did that to himself. This is, this is a divine person thinking and acting, resulting in events in time. This goes back to what theologians talk about when they talk about 
the, the pactum salutis, the, the eternal covenant of redemption, the cooperation, the communication of Father, Son, and Spirit in laying out the different roles that Father, Son, and Spirit will take in the economy of salvation. Because the Son has done things the Father did not do. And if your theology requires you to say, well, no, the Father did everything the Son did, then there's no longer any reason to talk about Father, Son, and Spirit. There's no longer any foundation to be able to say that the um, I have come. Because that could just as easily be said as of the of the Father and the Spirit. Oh no, no, that's where we have appropriations. That's 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 peanut butter theology. That's that's something that you use to cover over um, the inconsistencies in your position. You didn't get that from Scripture. You've gotten that from taking this stuff over here and cramming it on Scripture. If you can't, if you cannot allow the son to do something in the economy of salvation that's different than the father. Where are you getting that from scripture? You, you gain that from John 17? Who's, pre- well, you see, this is where, again, we have to do part of exegesis. And, uh, okay. Are you seriously saying that you read scripture and the natural reading of scripture I'm not saying that the son decided to do something separately from the father, against the father, um, that there's three different persons doing, running around doing three different things. None of that. Not saying any of that. What I am saying, especially in light of the fact there's only one God, Yahweh, accomplishing his own self-glorification and all of this. What I am saying is that you have to be able to recognize the deep personal nature of the humiliation of the son in submitting to the father so as to bring about redemption. That's something that the son does in relationship to the father, but the father doesn't do that. Same thing with the spirit. I mean, the spirit really gets the short end of every theological stick, it seems. But if the spirit is sent by the father and the son, and if, as Jesus puts it, um, the father and the son will make their presence with God's people through the Holy Spirit, is this not likewise a an act of great love and in many ways condescension on the spirit's part. Think about it. Think about this for just a second. What is it like to be the Holy Spirit? And, and scripture, scripture warns us not to do what? Grieve the Holy Spirit. Think about how the, the spirit so many times seeks to 
lead us in ways to glorify Christ, and we don't even listen. That is a that is a role that is not the fathers, and it's not the sons; it's the spirits. And if you say no, they're they're all doing it the same way, and it's just appropriations, then you've you've destroyed the roles of each of these persons, and and you you don't get any of that from here. You're left with you're left reading John chapter seventeen and just just trying to paper it over so that you you don't see the intimate relationship that exists. Again, Isaiah chapter nine. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Child is born, that's that's the natural birth. Jesus was truly man. Wasn't a phantom. Uh, Was truly born. No perpetual virginity. You believe in perpetual virginity, you don't believe that Jesus was truly born. I'm sorry, you just don't. Not if you actually believe the dogma of the perpetual virginity. You don't, you don't believe that. You think Jesus beamed out? Anyway, but unto us a son is given. There the son is the one being given. And yet in Philippians 2, he's the one giving himself. Perfect unity of the actions of Father, Son, and Spirit. Yes. But if you say we have to flatten that out so that it's one simple action and there's nothing special about the son in his self-giving, that's the father, that's the spirit, appropriation. There's not an apostle that ever spoke like that. And I just want to ask you, do you really think that the apostles would have gone, oh, oh yeah, well, you know, once you translate it into Greek, um, yeah, yeah, that's that's what we're talking about. Do you seriously think that maybe there was some backroom special studies, you know, that were going on? Uh, maybe, you know, they that's where they were, they're getting their Plato studies in. You know, in the back room type thing. It really concerns me. And I, I just wonder if any of these guys, especially this time of year. Well, my, my prayer is that at this time of year, many of these guys would just stop and go, man, I really have to stand on my head to make this text not say what it's saying. Also, I can say I'm being, I'm keeping up with this theological paradigm or that theological paradigm. Don't let your theological speculations rob the word of its ability to reveal the depth of the relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Um. We want to. We want to. We want to honor all of God's word at that at that point in time. So, anyway, um, I I 
need to, I will try to tomorrow. Well, yeah, I need, I need to get to it. Uh, get some more details put together uh, about the uh, debate coming up in uh, February in Tennessee. I know a lot of folks like to attend debates, and uh, that would be a that would be one that'll be very interesting and uh, hopefully uh, helpful to folks. And uh, again, I mentioned some more. I mentioned a little bit about that on a previous program and on the driving line, um, which I will try to be doing a little bit more than I did on this trip out, uh, especially now that I <laughs> just love it. I have this. It's a freebie audio recorder for my phone. It drives me crazy because it's always trying to get me to download and install another, a different one, which I don't like. I did in, install it. But I didn't like it, and I deleted it. Anyway, I was trying to get the file to Rich, and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't, it, it just wouldn't work for me. It was The way that I had done it before just wouldn't work. So I was about to give up. And since I was just trying to find a way to just get it off my phone somehow, get it on my computer or something, and I stumbled on a way to do it that was actually much easier than the way I've been doing it before. That means I'll be able to continue using that program because it does a good job. I mean, the quality of the audio, um, <laughs> given you're in a vehicle driving down the road, um, is, is really pretty good. So I want to try to keep using that and uh, doing those. It's um, hopefully edifying to you and it helps keep me focused, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. You don't get fuzzy brained when you're uh when you're doing something like that so when we get back on the road again i'll i'll try to make sure to to do a little bit more of that so anyways um the the wind has died down but it it, it comes back every once in a while so here's hoping that you know i'll be going to bed here in a little while here's hoping that you know still get to feel a little rock and rock and roll and hearing stuff like that it's it's enjoyable it's uh it's fun. Uh, believe me, I know a lot of speakers that would not know, would not find not any of that enjoyable or fun, especially because in the morning it's going to be really, really cold. And um, that's fine. That's that's wonderful. That's what they made blankets for. Uh, that's It's great. Anyhow, thanks for watching the program. Thank you, Rich, for uh, getting this put together. Uh, like I said, I had an appointment today. It went really well. and um, But I was rushing around trying to get back. And, and man... Just real quickly, the last traffic light before coming into the place where I'm parked, I've, I don't know if I've ever seen that many emergency vehicles in one place. And when I got up to the corner, there's one car on its side, whole nine yards. Somehow I was able to get through. Uh, but it was, yeah, someone's day didn't go too well uh, in that situation. Um, but um, be careful out there. I certainly... When people say to me, be careful out there, I take that very seriously because I see some some interesting things. And the 20, about 22,000 miles of uh, pulling this unit I've now I've now done. And I'm, I'm still going to tell you in the back of his mind, Rich never thought, never thought I'd be able to do this for this many miles without completely cracking it. I, I really back of his mind. But now he's sitting there going, okay, <laughs> it'll happen sooner or later, probably. <laughs> he's going, yep, yep, mm-hmm, yeah, that's why I got the insurance. <laughs> so anyways, um, 
like I said, I wish you could see the the lights that I have up in uh, in you know festive mood, and um, uh, I think it's wonderful to uh, to uh, remember the uh, the incarnation and to celebrate the the invasion of his own creation uh, by the very Son of God. Uh, what a awesome message we have for the world. Uh, okay. Anyways, thanks for watching the program uh, today. Uh, I'm not sure when we'll get back to you, but we're going we're gonna to keep trying. Uh, pray for the events this uh, weekend and next week as we're traveling. Lord, to be honored, as people be edified. We'll see you next time on The Divine Line. God bless. How long was that? <laughs>